for Me podcast, the place where we talk about how we can be happier, healthier humans and deal with the day-to-day messiness of life. I'm your host, Dr. Emily Amos. I am a GP, I'm a registered yoga and meditation teacher, and I burnt myself out a few years ago. And in the process of coming back from that point, I've learned quite a few lessons that I would love to share with you and just basically think about how we can all try to be happier, healthier humans in this messy world. And the goal of starting this podcast is actually just to give ourselves some time and space to reflect on how messy it can be to be human sometimes. I spent 10 years helping people be human. Um, In general practice, a lot of what we do is sitting behind that closed door with you and helping you to process a lot of the thoughts and feelings and emotions and things that happen to us in our day-to-day life as humans. And as a GP, our role is actually to normalize a lot of this. And the ironic thing for me was that I was doing that for my patients and I do believe that it's something that I do quite well but I wasn't able to do it for myself. And so in the process of burning out, which happened to me about two and a half years ago now, I've sought to rebuild, I guess, in a different way, because obviously there were a lot of personality traits and and ways that I approach problems in life that helped to contribute to me burning out. And on reflection, there's a lot of things that I could change And in the last few years, I've actually spent a lot of time in in self-reflection. I've done a lot of meditating. I've had a lot of professional support and support from my friends and family to take the time that's needed to reflect on these things. And there's a lot of lessons that I have learned, many of which would have been supremely helpful to have known before I burnt out. And that's sort of the goal of this podcast. It's the lessons that I've learned through this process And that would have really helped me to have learnt before I burnt out and probably would have stopped me from burning out had I have done that. So welcome. Now in this first episode, I guess it's really important to start at the very beginning. Um, As Sound of Music says, it's a very good place to start. And if I look back, for me, that probably does include some of those traits that we all tend to carry from our childhood and through adulthood and my number one thing that I can reflect on is this idea of perfectionism and perfectionism can sometimes be a healthy thing. I guess it drives us to be our best version of ourselves, but there's a difference between healthy perfectionism and the sort of perfectionism that that is really driven on by comparison and self-criticism and even self-loathing sometimes. And for me, The perfectionism actually came about, in a way, trying to control things, but also trying to drown out my inner critic. So my my inner critic voice is one of, um, it is self-criticism. You know, this idea of starting a podcast is one that I've had for a long time and I didn't do it or hadn't done it. Because that critic in my head says, who's going to listen? Who, what do you have to say? And that same critic has had a lot to say about my life thus far. And a lot of the striving that I've done in my life has not actually been because I wanted to achieve whatever it was I was striving for, 
but rather it was done in an attempt to drown out the voice of that inner critic. Which is an interesting thing to reflect on, I guess, because it means that a lot of the things I've achieved in my life and I've always struggled to really accept praise or adulation for the things that I've, that I've achieved in my life, a lot of them were really not me actively seeking out to achieve these things but in a way they were achieved by running away from not wanting to have people judge me or think that I'm silly or I was running away from something rather than running towards something and that's something that I've really come to reflect on in the last few years because I think that's something that had really contributed to me burning out Because the problem with running away from something in terms of how it drives your achievements is it's actually really exhausting if you're always running away from something. Um, And it means that every achievement is never satisfying because it doesn't actually stop there. If you're constantly running away from something, uh, whether it is fear of being mediocre or fear of failure or fear of judgment or Whatever the, whatever the thing where that we're trying to, or the uncomfortable feeling we're trying to drown out by our perfectionism, whether it's being a high achiever or keeping the house perfectly tidy or making sure that kids are dressed neatly or the, these behaviors that we engage in that are really just trying to drown out another uncomfortable feeling that we don't like having. And so a lot of us, I guess, have these, all of us really, it's a human thing to have these uncomfortable feelings. And without realizing it, what most of us do is we try and drown them out and we try and make another feeling louder, whether it's control or perfectionism or achievement, or um, sometimes we might reach for our phone or eat food to drown out certain feelings and thoughts. And in the, in the last few years, uh, this is something where my mindfulness practice has really come in handy to to help to manage these things so looking back i guess if i think about burning out basically i have been in a gp for um, about five years or a bit more and i have been i'm also a a board certified lactation consultant and i worked i was working independently seeing breastfeeding families and taking on a lot of work, taking on a lot of responsibility, but also taking on a lot of emotion from the families I worked with. And I was just finding that I was becoming increasingly worn out, exhausted, not able to switch off. And in terms of my workload, I was just feeling that I never escaped it. I could never get ahead of it. So I had these feelings of dissatisfaction with work And, you know, being the sort of person I was, I thought to myself, well, I'm just a bit stressed. (laughs) I just need to take a holiday and it'll be fine. And so I thought, okay, I'll book in a holiday. I was booked up a few weeks in advance, so I couldn't do it straight away, but I thought I'll, I'll do that. So basically I'm hobbling along, planning this holiday. Work's getting increasingly stressful. I'm feeling increasingly overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden... I have what I guess now I know was my first ever panic attack and this one didn't feel like your typical panic attack Um, it was this sort of impending sense of doom I guess so I spent the next 48 hours or so just feeling like I was dying I actually had a friend's birthday party that I'd already committed to go to 
I went with my husband and I remember standing there in this room full of people feeling like I was dying and being surrounded by people I knew but feeling completely alone almost like I'd been wrapped in shrink wrap and was just being shrunk and squeezed and pressed on every angle realizing I really needed that time off work I had booked it in for a few weeks and I thought I just need to get through I just need to get through the next few weeks at least and then the next few days sort of <clears throat> came along and and eventually a few days later I was about to leave for work I was all dressed and ready to drop to drop the kids at before school care and I had a actually what you would associate with a really physical panic attack so heart began to race I couldn't breathe I felt like my chest was being crushed I had this awful pounding headache and I just dropped to my knees just inside the front door of my house and my kids who were quite young at the time were just standing there crying because they were obviously scared by what was going on for me and I was crying and and so all of a sudden everything just came to a crashing halt and so I rang my mum and she came round. My sister came round and took the kids. My mum took me to my GP. Obviously, I didn't go into work. And this started the process for me of the, I guess, the outcome of burning out. And the funny thing is that even through this, so obviously my body had just tried to give me all these warnings that I needed to slow down and that I needed to change how I was living and working and finding balance I'd ignored those warnings um, probably because I wasn't self-aware enough at the time to see those warnings for what they were and then my body very helpfully sent me this debilitating panic attack that I physically couldn't even get out my front door from so I'm very grateful for my, for my body because it told me told me what it needed to do but in those first few weeks after that happened my brain was still probably my worst enemy, still telling me, oh, yep, you're just a bit stressed. Take a bit of time off. You'll be fine. And the people around me could obviously see that wasn't the case, that I was much, um, I was hurting a lot more than even I gave myself permission to be. And that is sort of the hallmark of the first few weeks and months even of my recovery after burning out was I kept torturing myself with this idea that why should I be allowed to burn out? How self-indulgent of me to burn out. <laughs> and, you know, there's lots of people who are stressed and there's lots of people who are overwhelmed. And what right do I have to burn, to burn out and say that I, that I need to stop like this? Which is a really counterproductive way to think. And, and my brain was, like I said, my worst enemy. And it took a long time. It took many, many months. Um, it took a lot of work with my psychologist to actually become to a place of acceptance where I actually allowed myself to say, yep, yeah, this is this is what it is. And I mean, my definition of burnout is when the demands on you outstrip your capabilities at that point in time. So it's a dynamic state, you know, it changes day to day. And if I look back at my life back then, my life was complex, but not overly complex, you know, no worse than a lot of other people. But what was demanded of me in my life was just, you know, it was, it was multifaceted. There were home things, there were work things, there was study things, there were all sorts of things. And I just never gave myself permission 
to be struggling. And I was so used to having been able to push through things. So that was my default. I just kept pushing. And what I could have done had I have had the self-awareness at the time was say, actually, I'm getting a lot of warning signs here that I need to pull the throttle back on some area of my life because I'm going full throttle on all of them. And it's not sustainable for my body and my mind, clearly. And that was a hard lesson. And I think that's a lesson that a lot of us probably struggle with, knowing when to pull back and knowing where to pull back. And a thing that I said to myself really commonly is this idea of I can't. Any suggestion anyone might have about how about this? How about you take the kids out of private school and put them into a community kinder, which is what I ended up doing because when I pulled back on work, obviously your income changes significantly. I said, I can't, I can't, there's no way. And it's this fixed thinking that there is no other option that really keeps you going down a certain path. And I was so guilty of that. And in the years since, that's been something that I've been really mindfully trying to address because that's something that gets you in a lot of trouble, that fixed thinking. And I think in hindsight, what I could have done was probably been working with a psychologist from a much earlier stage to work on some of these fixed beliefs and ways of approaching problems. And that's something that psychologists um, and counsellors are very, very good at. Sometimes we just need someone who is outside of our head, helping us to work through the thoughts that are inside of our head. So when it comes down to where I am now, starting a podcast, I teach mindfulness in a lot of different ways. I teach it on retreats. I teach it to medical students at university and I teach it in my own trainings and run online classes. I've also written some online courses. There's mindfulness has really become a huge part of my life. So given this is our first podcast, now's probably a really good time to talk about exactly what mindfulness is. Now, I learned about mindfulness 15 or more years ago at university from Professor Craig Hassard and all medical students at Monash are taught mindfulness in their first year. And I I teach that uh, now. I'm part of the teaching team with Professor Hassard. And I find that it's a it's a really helpful skill. And I found it to be a helpful skill before I burnt out for just allowing your mind to only deal with one thing at a time rather than the one thing that's happening to you and all the other times a similar thing has happened to you in the past or all the worries about the future that you might have as well. The problem with how I practiced mindfulness before I burnt out though was that I'm you know I learned about mindfulness I'd read about it in books I'd done all the the academic side of it but I never really truly learned how to make it my own. And so I had a brain that I really struggled to switch off. And it was a brain that was full of thoughts and worries and things that I wished I did differently, lots of regrets, lots of ruminating thoughts. And I could never really switch it off. So I used to wake up at sort of 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning and reach for my phone just simply to try and drown out the worries about patients or, or things that had woken me up in the middle of the night. And what mindfulness does is it it gives your brain the ability to stop all that extra noise that we tend to put 
on an event that happens to us. So if we if we think about waking up in the middle of the night, which a lot of us do, and often it's when we are worrying about something. If I wake up at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning, I've woken up at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. That's what's happened. But what my brain tells me is I've woken up. Oh, I always wake up this early. I'll never be able to get back to sleep. And it adds all these extra worries. And the worries are often not actually happening to me right now. I mean, it's we all know it's not really the end of the world to wake up in the middle of the night on its own. But when we add all the extra stuff to it, so every time that we've woken up before, we add all those worries, the fact that we feel like we'll never get back to sleep again, so we're projecting into the future, we add all those worries as well. And a lot of these things that we actually add to the simple act of waking up, they're either past or future, they may not even happen the often it will in fact just about always outside of our control and this makes the actual falling asleep again really tough so by learning how to practice mindfulness what we're doing is we're just removing some of that chatter the mind chatter and the background noise of all the memories of times where negative things have happened to us in the past and we remember how bad that was or all the worries into the future where we're projecting and worrying about things that may never happen. It's that stuff that causes most of the angst for most of us. And if we can keep coming back into this present moment, it's usually a lot easier to deal with whatever it is that's happening to us because we're just dealing with what's happening to us, not all that extra stuff. And so learning to practice mindfulness is just like any other skill. I mean, you wouldn't wake up tomorrow morning and just tell yourself you're going to run a marathon. It just doesn't happen. And mindfulness is no different. It's a skill. It's a muscle that we need to work out and we need to dedicate some time to mastering this skill and staying on top of. It's not a set and forget kind of thing. Our brains have this natural negativity bias where we're much more likely to remember bad things that have happened to us in the past and use that information to project into the future Because remembering these things historically would have kept us safe. You know, if Fred over there ate some poisonous berries, we would remember that those berries made him very sick and we'd stay away from them. We're less likely to remember so vividly the things that aren't so negatively affecting our day-to-day lives. And so our brain is actually naturally wired to have a negativity bias, to project into the future. And in a lot of ways... Even though mindfulness is, say, the default state for a baby, so in theory it's the the default state of humans, it's not. It's being mindful is actually a state that we need to work on every day. And so mindfulness is just about being able to bring your awareness back into the present moment again and again. It doesn't matter how many times, and we can do it non-judgmentally. We notice the mind's wandered. We notice we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's okay. We just come back. And we do it using certain anchors, things like the breath or bodily sensations. You might have done a body scan in the past or sounds that we can hear. We use these anchors because we can't actually breathe in any other moment other than right now. We can't actually hear things that are happening in any other moment other than right now. So we use that sensory awareness or the awareness of the breath or the body to remind our our mind, okay, what I'm dealing with right now is this, not all those other things my mind's worrying about. So often we talk about the saber-toothed tiger. You know, we 
if there was a saber-toothed tiger in the room with us, yep, we need that fight-or-flight response. We need to respond to it. But a lot of the things that cause our fight-or-flight response in the modern life are not saber-toothed tigers that are in the room about to eat us. They're worries about work. They're wishing we didn't do something or we did something differently. You know, We're ruminating about events that have already happened. Most of the things that cause us stress in this modern world are not actually in the moment. Obviously, there's still some stresses in the moment, but we can deal with those. We've got an amazing stress system that has evolved to deal with stresses and then turn off almost like a volume dial. Like we're, we're designed to have a stress, have something that insults us that we need to dial up our stress response. We release all those stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, and then we dial it down once that stress has gone away. But if we're constantly worrying about things or projecting into the future or worrying about things that have already happened, we don't actually ever dial the dial back down. And so we're swimming in these stress hormones. And I guess the buzzword and the buzz, you hear a lot about things like adrenal fatigue these days, when really our adrenal glands are what create our stress hormones. In a lot of ways, they, they sort of, they don't drive our stress response, but they certainly respond to the signals that drive our stress response from our brain. And if our brain is constantly pumping out signals saying, right, respond to stress, respond to stress, respond to stress, then our adrenal glands will constantly be doing that. That's their job and they do it very well. And so you can see that a lot of the the therapies and the treatments and all these things that are being sold to people as cures for something like adrenal fatigue really are a band-aid there's no supplement to turn off your stress response you may be able to optimize other parts of your life and your health but really learning how to deal with the stress response turn it on and turn it off and actually learning how to live in this busy overwhelming noisy modern world and find some calm and find some stillness and some rest so that you can turn that stress response down. I mean, that is the goal in life. And that's exactly what I teach. And that's exactly what, in some ways, we're going to do through this podcast. We're going to talk about how you can take care of yourself, how you can nurture yourself and give yourself the capacity to turn your stress system on and off. Dial it up, dial it down. You know, it probably never turns off. Okay, that's the wrong word to use. Think of it more like a dial. It's a dial that you just, you, you have the ability to turn up and down. You can't change what's happened to you. What goes on around you will always happen. What you can change is that response that your body innately has to the stresses that occur to you. And mindfulness and meditation are certainly amazing tools to do that. And I love teaching them. (laughs) So I'll be bringing that into the podcast. But I'll also just be reflecting on how it is actually hard to do these things. You know, this isn't easy. I struggle with it. That's why I burnt myself out and have spent years recovering from that. And like I said earlier, the lessons that I have learned in the process of recovering from that would have been really helpful to learn before I burnt myself out. 
but alas here we are <laughs> we're on the other side and I'm really happy to start this journey and to be doing this journey with you as well because chances are by listening this far in you're probably dealing with some of this stuff as well so what I want you to do now because this is our first episode I am going to introduce you very briefly to the practice of meditation I promise I won't do this every time but I just want you to get a feel for all this stuff that I'm actually talking about so if you can find a comfortable position where you are obviously if you're driving don't close your eyes but perhaps come back to this podcast when you've got some time and space later on today or another day where you can just sit somewhere quietly, somewhere comfortable and just start to recognize what it feels like to come to rest. Because for most of us, coming to rest in our bodies is actually quite uncomfortable. And when we first come to meditation, the most common thing that I ever hear anyone say is, I can't meditate, it doesn't work for me, or I have a sore back, or my brain's too busy, or I can't switch off, or all these things that everyone says. And remember how we spoke a little bit earlier about the I can'ts? Well, I think the same rings true for meditation. So the I can'ts, just have a think. If you are coming to this with a couple of I can'ts in, in your mind, why is that? Why, why is your brain in that fixed state of I can't, I can't do this? So if we want to come to a comfortable sort of position, sitting on a chair or couch, when we meditate, we sit upright. The reason for this is meditation is not actually about falling asleep and being relaxed. It's actually about being aware. And it gives us a little trigger to try and maintain that awareness if we're sitting upright. I also teach yoga nidra, which is a meditation that is done lying down and relaxing. And it's a completely different meditation. Beautiful, but the goal is a bit different there. So for a mindfulness meditation, we're sitting up, feet about hips width apart with our feet on the floor, and just resting your hands in your lap however they feel comfortable. So if they feel comfortable just resting clasped together or resting on your knees, you don't have to do anything in particular. Just flop them in your lap and let them sit where they fall. And then when you found a comfortable position, sort of sitting forward on the backrest, trying to sit up as, as upright as possible, just allowing your eyes to close slowly. And just starting off by taking three long, slow Deep breaths. Just allowing your mind to catch up with your body where it is now. And then just letting your breath fall back into its natural depth and rhythm. Just simply allowing it to breathe itself. I often find that my body arrives places before my mind does. My body might be physically sitting here meditating and my mind's a million miles away. So just using this gentle trigger of the breath to let our mind catch up with our body now. And as we notice the breath, just noticing that gentle rise and fall in and out. Not needing to control it in any way or change it. Don't need to force it or prolong it. Just simply noticing it, how it is for you right now. And perhaps you notice that at the top and the bottom of the breath, there's a brief pause, almost like you've thrown a tennis ball into the air. 
and it's going up and then before it comes down it's almost like it's suspended in midair for a moment and the breath has the same sort of character we breathe in and there's a gentle pause before we start to breathe out again and another pause Just noticing those little pauses at the top and the bottom of the breath. And each pause coming without us needing to control it. We don't need to find time. It just happens every breath. perhaps our mind begins to wander at some point that's okay there's always a next breath we can come back to each time our mind wanders off with worries about the future or the past things we need to do and just simply come back to the next breath in and out the gentle pause doesn't matter how many times our mind wanders off we can always come back there's always a next breath and it's never too late to begin again there's nothing to be gained from our meditations there's nothing we need to do we're just simply noticing the breath as it is and noticing if our mind wanders and then gently coming back to the breath again and again and as we come to the end of this short meditation today just bringing some movement back into our fingers and toes just noticing how our body feels in this moment and whenever you feel ready allowing your eyes to open slowly so that's a nice brief meditation just to introduce you to the ideas that I'm going to be talking about sometimes in this podcast the whole podcast isn't about meditation, so don't worry if it, if it wasn't for you. This is just so you get a bit of a rough idea of what I, what I do and what I've found to be really, really helpful as I've recovered from my own burnout and tried to learn how to be a happier, healthier human. Um, but what you may have noticed as you were perhaps meditating is that if you don't usually do it, you've never done it before, or even if you have and you're feeling a bit tight or a bit tense or anxious, that actually sitting still can be really uncomfortable and you can begin to feel sort of a twitchy, anxious, nervous tension, whether it's actually physically in your body or if it's actually more in your mind. And I talk about this a lot as an addiction to stimulation. So our brains are so used to being active and busy and always switched on 
that they're just in a way they're addicted to it even though we know that like with other addictions we can still pursue these things even though they're they're bad for us but the addiction to stimulation is no different from any other addiction we're just so used to being switched on and that stress system those stress hormones adrenaline and cortisol and other ones just being constantly coursing through our veins and our body sort of running on them and when we come to stillness when we do things like meditating or if we go on holiday or if we lie down at night and try to sleep even sometimes we just find that our body is actually still running on those hormones and adrenaline is coursing through our veins and making it very difficult for us to slow down and be still and we feel quite uncomfortable when we try and do that so meditation i find to be a skill obviously that you need to build up but finding a teacher who a meditation teacher in particular whose teaching resonates with you and who actually sort of helps hold your hand and helps to remind you that hard things are hard and like I've said before that you wouldn't expect yourself to run a marathon um, if you just decided to do it tomorrow and meditation is no different you wouldn't actually expect yourself or you shouldn't expect yourself rightly to be perfect at it or to be able to do it really well just because you've done it all of a sudden it is something that takes time and finding someone to walk with you through that process can be really really helpful so in some upcoming episodes, we're going to talk a lot about the thing, the other things that I found helpful. Obviously, meditation is one of them, but just other ways that we can take care of ourselves and we can be kind to ourselves as we navigate life that is messy and busy and often overwhelming. And I'm hoping that as we do this each week, <laughs> that You'll learn these lessons too as I'm learning them. You know, this is a work in progress for me. I think the biggest lesson I've taken from burning out is that where before I thought perhaps very naively that I was a fully fledged human, I was not at all that. And there are so many things that I am still learning and that I need a lot of help mastering and I need to work on to, to keep mastering them. So let's do it together and try and master these weird and wonderful things as we learn from some very clever people. I'm going to talk to some very clever people about how we can take care of ourselves, be kind to ourselves, and basically just try and navigate life. If you want to know any more about practicing mindfulness and meditation, I have a masterclass available on my website, which also includes an introduction to breath work, and the links are in the show notes. I also am pretty active on social media and would love to have you follow along and I've included the links for that also in the show notes. I'd love for you to subscribe to be updated of new podcasts and also join my mailing list via my website so I can keep you updated of all the new things coming up for me.